ladies and gentlemen and IoT professionals everywhere. Welcome to Real World IoT powered by 151 Advisors. I am Ken Briota, your host, and on this show, we as the name would suggest, want to get into the real-world implications of the IoT. We want to shred the varnish, get rid of all of the marketing speak and the, the hype cycle around IoT, and dig into the meat of what's really going on in the industry, what some real learnings and paths forward might be, and what the, the factors affecting growth, uh, encouraging growth, and inhibiting growth in the industry might be. And uh, that's going to dig right into the heart of what we're going to talk about today. Very excited to have as my guest, uh, Bruce Chatterley, the president and CEO at Senate Company, as many of you listening will know, doing some really exciting stuff in the IoT, uh, in the world of network deployment, device availability, and that kind of thing. Bruce, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. Really uh, a pleasure to have you. In case... uh, Folks out there listening are not familiar with you personally or, or with Senate uh, by some freak chance. <laughs> Can you give us a little bit of your background and, and what you work on day to day? Sure. Uh, so I am president and CEO of Senate. Uh, and uh, for more information about Senate, you can, uh, you can uh, visit www.senateco.com. Um, essentially, uh, I've been with the company since June of uh, 2017. After uh, you know about almost 20 years of entrepreneurial activity and uh, in the in and around technology and telecommunications, so uh, I've been doing uh, startups and growth businesses uh, for quite some time now, and I became really excited about Senate uh, in terms of uh, a growth opportunity because I think. Uh, you know, the, the forecasts for this industry have always been, the IoT industry, have always been in the, you know, the billions and in some cases the trillions of devices for, for quite some time now. And uh, I believe there's been some, uh, some significant blockers that have, uh, have stopped that from happening. And I think we're now starting to set up as an industry with some solutions to some of those blockers and Senate uh, really has, has some of those solutions and is poised for uh, facilitating the growth that has always been promised in this industry. And so, uh, so I'm really excited about uh, not only the industry in general, but, uh, but about Senate's prospects for helping the industry evolve in a much more rapid fashion than it has in the past. I, so, uh, uh, I I appreciate your uh, your lack of rose colored glasses there. Uh, it's a it's a good fit <laughs> for what our audience is looking for. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, in, in terms of Senate, uh, you know, we we have a lot of hard knocks in this industry and a lot of uh, really interesting experience to bring to bear on the some of the problems that have been uh, uh, slowing the industry down. So. So the company has, has been around for some time, since 2009, was originally formed as a, under the name of EnterTrack to do tank monitoring. So those big white tanks that are outside of houses and businesses that are uh, either uh, home heating oil or propane. And essentially, we built a solution that uh, puts monitors on those tanks uh, with a cloud-based application that monitors those and a, uh, a wireless networking technology based on the LoRa standard, L-O-R-A. Um, and, uh, and we built a business around that, and we built a series of networks. So that solution was sold to fuel distributors uh, and who are primarily regional businesses. And so, 
So, uh, you know, we built that business up over a couple of years. And by the way, we were very early in the LoRa standards. So we had to build our own sensors, our own antennas or gateways, and we had to build our own cloud-based software and, uh, and network server to, um, to manage all that stuff. Um, and fast forward to, uh, you know, like uh, three years ago, we looked back on that business and realized we had just built a national network for IoT and thought we could do more than just tank monitoring on that network. And so we formed an umbrella company called Senate over that, that network to do more horizontal applications for IoT through the, the same network infrastructure. And then in 2016, we, uh, we uh, deployed a, uh, a, a national network, uh, a public uh, over-the-air, publicly available network uh, in what you can think of as NFL cities. And today we uh, own and operate the largest uh, uh, LoRa network in North America. Um, but really the way to think about our company is that um, we are focused on building the software, the cloud-based software and services to facilitate the rapid deployment of IoT networks where they're needed, when they're needed, and at the right price. And um, I think that uh, that positions you well to uh, uh, jump into a, a frustration that I've had in covering the IoT industry over the last several years and I'm sure one that uh, that many of the folks like you working in it uh, have faced, and we've talked about many times at, at events and, and things, which is the the disconnect between the projected growth of the industry and the actual implementation growth of the industry. Uh, it, it's really, really obvious if you look at the sort of smart home consumer side uh, piece of it, I think, uh, but it also shows on the industrial side and in transportation and any number of the other verticals that are playing with the IoT to some extent in that these billions and billions of devices that have been projected don't seem to actually be showing up in real implementations. I mean, do you, do you see that as a, a good characterization of sort of where we're at right now? Yeah, I think up till uh, now, I think that's a pretty good characterization. And I think there are a couple things that have been blocking that from happening. One is, um, you know, the availability of, of cost-effective devices that actually work. And I think that continues to be a frustration of Senate in particular because we're, you know, we're focused on the connectivity. So we're focused on, on very efficiently connecting the sensors that are in the marketplace with the platforms that, that uh, and streaming the data to the platforms and the applications that make information out of that, right. out of that data. And so, so what we need is a really good sensor that actually connects in a standard way to our, to our network and streams that data. And we've been uh, quite frustrated with the, uh, the evolution of that segment of the industry. And so, if I can say one thing, it's a it's a call to action for the people who are developing these sensors, not just to just to build the sensors uh, and uh, produce them in a cost-effective way, but to uh, to work with um, reputable and knowledgeable network providers like Senate, and whether it's Senate or someone else, to certify those Senate, those those sensors against the standard uh, for which they're they're designed. Right. So in our case, it would be LoRa. So that it's you know the network providers and the application providers are not required to do your QA for you. 
Right, um, and, so, and the I I'm curious about. I get why some of these devices are are expensive. You know, it, it, it's the technology is uh, depending on who you talk to, either very old or very new, and but the way it's being used is certainly new. So so figuring out the wrinkles and and essentially in many of these cases being at prototype and test phase for some of these sensors and, and devices makes them more expensive. What's going to make them more cost effective? I mean, if we're talking about scale, they can't be expensive. We've got to be talking about pennies each at at broad scale, even on in the simplest implementations, thousands of devices have to be uh, manageable. How are we going to get those prices down? Is it just going to be practice and volume? <laughs> I think that's a that's an important part of it. I think the uh, evolution of the chipset and that technology and the the implementation of that in terms of design. You know, we're working with uh, device manufacturers that are making disposable devices now, um, which are interesting and they're paper thin, and they do things like temperature monitoring and uh, and uh, you know um, uh, motion monitoring and things mm-hmm. like that. So, so they're, they're, the technology is there today, and I think it needs to get to scale. And I think um, we're actually starting to see the applications that can deliver against that. Well, I was going to say, doesn't that put us in a chicken or the egg kind of p- position where uh, in order for the, the prices to come down, they need to get to scale, but we're never going to get to scale as long as the prices are high. <laughs> yeah, and, and I don't think, I don't think the, uh, the pricing that you talked about is required right now to start the scaling process. I think if we can get to, you know, sub $20 devices, I think we can start to get uh, we can start to get to volume in the in the millions for sure, mm-hmm. um, and that's going to then kick off the volume pricing, the the economies of scale that will uh, you know essentially start to build on itself. So, so so I don't think we need to get to the pennies to to get this this train started, and I think we're starting to see some applications that are that are in that range. Um, yeah. But we need more of them. In terms of uh, in terms of deployment and to sort of follow this down the 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 chain of of supply, I guess the chain of economics. Um, does scale provide enough balance to lower the cost of these devices appropriately for the manufacturers who are you know obviously looking to not lose profit <laughs> by making their devices cheaper? Uh, is it, is that uh, sort of going to follow in a proportional way, or they, or does scale going, is scale going to have to ramp up sort of uh, exponentially to balance the amount that price really needs to drop? Um, I think I think this industry will follow a traditional um, you know model where uh, there are, there are significant economies of scale in manufacturing. Um, and I think in particular, those manufacturers that have other lines of business that can be leveraged uh, from a production standpoint against this, this line of business will, will, do, will do pretty well. Sure. Um, so, so I think, I think it has a, it has a uh, the characteristics of this business have a traditional economies of scale, you know, sort of manufacturing and production model. I think um, one, one of the other things that's stopping scale from happening is you have to have a network to connect these devices to. Fair. And so it's sort of been, you know, you talk about chicken and egg, 
you know, okay, so I make a device that's, that's cost effective and works to the standard. How do I get connected? Uh, and, and what is the cost of that connectivity? Right. And so that's really the problem that Senate is focused on is how do we get an on-demand model where, um, you know, when you need an app, you know, I call this industry, the IoT industry, a nook and cranny network industry, um, meaning that, uh, you know, there is no way for any network provider, whether it be a traditional cellular company or, a, uh, or an IoT-focused company on the lower standard like Senate, um, to predict where connectivity is required. So there's no right. concept of build it and they will come here. It's really you've got to have a very responsive and cost-effective model to, to build network where, when, and, and where and when the application needs it. And that's what we've, that's what we've built is a very unique model uh, for accomplishing that, which we think will then facilitate the economies of scale in, in network availability, which then facilitates the economies of scale on the device side. <laughs> Um, it, uh, one of the discussions that I have pretty frequently, because it's something I feel like I've never gotten a really good answer to, and uh, so I, I challenge you to settle this for me, uh, <laughs> is um, the, the cost of connectivity problem. Because, again, this I think is a scale problem, but this time for the end user, in that uh, the as-a-service model, the um, sort of subscription model, as you scale up your network at an enterprise level, um, is, I think, going to hit the medium-sized industrial client really, really hard, much faster than they expect. I'm thinking of like a, a farmer with you know, 100,000 acres in Texas or someplace, you know, that's that's trying to deploy a huge sensor network to monitor groundwater and and growth and whatever else they're monitoring, um, that, that as they attempt to grow their network and get more and more rich data and analytics can very quickly become uh, untenable in terms of subscription costs for that data. And I see this as a sort of looming problem that I haven't gotten a good answer to. And I'm curious on your thoughts of how how that piece of the the network deployment is going to work. Well, let's take that as an example. So, so the first choice you're you're going to make is what's the appropriate net, network technology for that application. Sure. And I think uh, you you happen to pick one of the prototypical applications that lines up well with the LoRa standard. Uh, <laughs> I'm a or, good host. Or the, or I'm a good host, Bruce. Yeah, or, or the category, uh, you know, not to be so much of a homer, you know, the category <laughs> called LP-WAN, low-powered wide area networking. And, and so, so um, you know, uh, what's interesting is the technology for LoRa is by definition long range. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can, you can deploy a single antenna and, you know, we have one, one of our gateways is communicating with devices 70 miles away. So, so it's a perfect technology for farming um, where you have thousands of acres and you can cover all thousand acres with maybe one or two gateways. Um, and so that, that starts the efficiency model right there. Sure. The second model is, the second aspect of that is how do you manage that deployment? And uh, you need you need a uh, a system that essentially allows you to manage not only the gateway deployment but also the device deployment. You know where are the devices? Are they working? Are they reporting? 
how do I optimize for for um, you know environmental conditions and those kinds of things? Mm-hmm. And that's the other thing that we do through our cloud-based software and services. And then the third thing is a, a unique model that we have that um, allows you. It's called the LPN virtual network. So let's let's take the example of that farmer buying two gateways to deploy thousands of acres of coverage. Um, you know, if they purchased those gateways and connected them to our, our cloud-based uh, services, you know, for network management, then they become part of the LPWAN virtual network or LVN for Senate. And what happens there is those gateways are available for other applications to connect to. And any application that connects to that farmer's gateway, the farmer would actually get a share of that revenue. So first of all, the lower, the lower WAN uh, uh, gateways are very cost effective. You know, a gateway in that application probably would run you fifteen hundred to two thousand dollars one time. Okay. Um, and then uh, when when um, when another application, which is very prototypical, like tank monitoring, is another application that tends to be in the same area as farming applications. Sure. You know, when one of those tanks connects to that farmer's device, that farmer will get a share of the Senate revenue that we collect for that tank monitoring application. Whereas and, the, and the, 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 see that, that's really interesting to me because the, then whoever deployed the tank monitoring thing, presumably a water company, <laughs> uh, they don't have to have the expenditure to put up their own gateway at the same time. So exactly. they're, they're getting and a little bit be, of a win out of it too. That's exactly right. It could be a water company, could be an irrigation management company, could be a, uh, a tank monitor, a fuel distributor, could also be the farmer with a second application, which is to monitor their, which is very typical, again, uh, to monitor their fertilizer tanks, um, you know, those kinds of things, other, other liquid tanks, um, which need to be monitored. Um, so, so this is the model that, that we think can be the winning model to unlock the network coverage. And it's also an incentive to crowdsource a global IoT network. Yeah, and and that uh, sort of segues well into a really, a global thing that I wanted to talk to you about, which is the idea of, uh, for lack of a better term that's coming to me right now, network interchange, you know, and sort of the overlapping IoT networks. And Because I don't think there's, as you said earlier, ever you know, one standard to rule them all. You know, we're going to have cellular for certain types of deployments, uh, uh, LP WAN for others, you know, LoRa for others. Uh, you know, there there are going to be different standards for different applications, which means there's going to be a lot of overlapping networks and a lot of uh, deployments required. And so I'm I'm interested in how much interplay there is between the sort of interconnected, because it's certainly possible that one customer needs three or four different connectivity standards to, to make something work. How much of the, the interplay gets happens between the you providers of, of these sort of uh, enablement technologies? Well, the, uh, the network interconnection tends to align uh, with uh, providers uh, that are aligned with, with a single standard. So, for example, the cellular providers have have roaming interconnections. Um, in the in the LoRa space, 
Um, we believe that the traditional cellular roaming model is going to be difficult, if not impossible, to accomplish. You know, in cellular, you, you know, you, you built the model around the $50 a month kind of connection, right? Right. And so you have uh, enough play to uh, divide up that revenue and move it back and forth. In the IoT-specific uh, market, in Laura in particular, you know, you're talking about something that could be as low as a dollar a year. And uh, the overhead required to do a traditional roaming arrangement is probably not going to work. And so, so uh, one way to solve that problem is through our LVN technology that I just described, right. where you know you, you essentially have multiple networks connecting to a single cloud-based platform, and the um, the, uh, the 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 connections happen through a revenue sharing model versus a uh, network interconnection model. Okay. The other way is to do, um, you know, sort of proactive network interconnections between uh, competing carriers um, and try and figure out how to do this LVN revenue sharing model. It's going to be a long-term and much more difficult. So that's why we built the LVN model, because we felt like it solves two problems. One, it solves the incentive to get, uh, you know, to get networks built quickly. And the second problem it solves is it puts the network exactly where it's needed when it's needed. Mm -hmm. um, and the third, the third problem it solves is once that's in, it makes the network available for anyone. Right. Well, that's, uh, that I think is uh, sort of the, almost the, the corporate enterprise responsibility element to all of this network deployment is that uh, it's, it can't be a loss leader type of program, but it's going to end up benefiting everyone much greater over time because once the networks are there, they're available for everyone to use. And it's just the initial deployment that sort of has to be figured out. Is yeah, sort of you know, there's, there's one other example. Um, you know, this, this LVN concept also allows for entities like cities the incentive to deploy uh, these types of uh, gateways on their city assets because they're going to generate actual revenue from those assets. Let me give you a real-life example. Um, and I won't use the city name, but it's uh, one of the top three largest cities in the United States. They passed an ordinance where they require their um, Department of Public Health to know where every food cart and food truck is in the city at any given time so that they can come in each day and do a random selection and then go visit these food, food trucks or food carts uh, each day and do a health check. Wow. And so, so um, we've deployed in partnership with the city and a systems integrator, um, we've deployed a massive network um, in part using the city's assets, so their buildings particularly. Right. Um, and uh, so we, you know, for free, you get to put one of these on top of a very large city building. And all of a sudden now, we have a major U.S. city that's completely deployed with LoRa for an anchor application, which starts with 5,000 sensors uh, for this application. But now you enable a city to start to pursue uh, public housing applications, um, pest control. So, you know, how do I control rats in the city, which is a big problem. Right, um, right. You know, uh, garbage truck, uh, you know, uh, waste management uh, applications, sure. how full is the bin? Um, Sewage you know, monitoring, any and, number of things, yeah. 
Yeah, so now you start to uh, start to tackle this this uh, device volume issue because you now have network availability and you have a major public entity that's marketing this and saying, hey, come to my city for your applications because we're fully equipped and we have this partnership. And by the way, the more devices that connect to this network, the more rev share the city gets. Well, right. And that's, I mean, that's just... Uh, uh gravy for the city. I mean, they're, they can exactly. offer, they can offer m- much better economic development incentives without having initial outlay of cost or, you know, they don't have to use a tax incentive. They can use a technology uh, access incentive, which of course is good for the, the municipality and the city and, and uh, good for citizens in the end because they pay, they, their property taxes don't have to go up because of a tax incentive to get some company into the city, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, and I think from an economic development standpoint, it gives the city a platform upon which to attract a technology vertical to their, you know, an employee base to sure. their city by saying, you know, we're we're very progressive and we're very advanced, and we have a network that you can use for development. Yeah. Um, what What do you see coming that that uh, you see as a great challenge. I, I, I always hesitate to ask, uh, you know, what are you afraid of? <laughs> because every time I ask that question, I get an answer that I wasn't expecting that now I'm afraid of. But what, <laughs> what, uh, um, what do you see as a, a, the challenge that's coming down the pike that, that is going to have to be addressed, you know, 10 years from now as a result of this deployment, assuming it continues to grow the way we sort of hope it does? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I, I think a couple things. One, time is always our enemy. I'm a startup CEO, so time is always my enemy. And things always happen slower than you would like. And I think this industry is, is no different. Um, I think the positive here is that, uh, uh, that we've moved from, I think, last year I would call the year of the POC, the uh, proof of concept. Mm-hmm. To this year, we're starting to see those pots come out of uh, concept and into, into commercial deployment. So I think we're going to see some major deployments this year, and that's going to be a catalyst to really start the industry going. So, so I, the first thing I always say when people ask, what are you worried about? And I'm worried about time, because the longer it takes, the less chance it is of happening. Right? Sure, yeah. Um, the, the second thing is, uh, you know, the worry that if it does happen and happens quickly, um, you know, we will have a first generation of devices um, that are deployed on a global basis in the millions for each project. And what happens 10 years from now when those devices need to be deployed? Right. And so, so or need to be uh, redeployed. Right, you know, right, we, right. We need, and maybe it's five years, who knows? Um, so how do you manage that process? And, and by the way, that is, I happen to pick a problem that we're highly focused on, which is, which is the, uh, the cloud-based system that manages that and, uh, and, and continues to manage these end devices and the refresh and the redeployment of those devices at scale. Um, and then I think uh, the other thing that's always in the back of everyone's mind is security. And you know, the thing I'm concerned about is people deploying applications without uh, a, a significant diligence on the security aspect, um, both in the application itself, but also in how you connect those applications to sensors, and then how secure are the sensors. Um, Senate has happened to uh, pick a technology that's probably one of the most 
secure communication technologies out there today um, where everything is encrypted at the device and, and fully encrypted all the way through the network and not encrypted until it hits the application server, which means that as a communications provider, we can't unpack the, the traffic as it transits our network because we don't have the keys. Interesting. So, so in terms of data ownership, it's very clear. Uh, the only one who, who owns it is the one who can decrypt it at the other end. Exactly. And unlike others, we're not trying to monetize information that is derived from sensors. We're, we're a pure connectivity play. And unlike other networking technologies, for example, cellular, which is what's called hop-by-hop encryption, where it gets to the cell site, then it gets unencrypted and re-encrypted and sent on, you know, that, there's, there's opportunities for man-in-the-middle attacks and all kinds of other types of attacks to get at that. We don't have that, that, uh, yeah. that, uh, you know, that problem. Yep. So security is another issue, and I worry about the whole industry getting a black eye uh, like it has with baby one? sensors and yeah. things like that. You know? <laughs> How many eyes do we have to spare at, at this point? Is uh, yeah, exactly, exactly. Is, is getting to be. I think it's it, it, people are paying attention now. I think that that uh, as an optimist, I like to think that the industry is uh, getting past the phase of nobody's looking at us, so we don't need to worry as much about security. Um, which it seems like we ling- the industry lingered in for a long time. But I think we're getting past that and sort of really focusing heavily on figuring out encryption, figuring out rotating passwords, figuring out uh, no, the future of no passwords and, and, and how that's going to work and, and uh, all of these other yeah, sort of cryptography uh, strategies that, quite frankly, are probably fact, above my pay grade. Even, <laughs> yeah, we've, we've even built a model where um, security happens at the manufacturing plant. So, you know, the devices go into a secure manufacturing process, so they can't be tampered with. Um, the keys get encrypted and sent to a, thir- a trusted third party. So we've done integrations with Jamalto and, and others um, so that if someone doesn't even want to trust Senate, we can send them to a trusted third party who holds the keys. Oh, okay. Um, so, so we've got uh, as robust a model as you can, um, you know, as you can see, uh, awesome. or you can, or as you can conceive of. Um, and so, I think that's what's required is flexibility. Sure. Um, as we as we get near uh, the end of our time here, uh, much as I would happily keep talking about this stuff indefinitely. What uh, did I not think to ask you that you think is important to, to touch on in terms of you know, network availability, device deployment, and, and the sort of realities of the marketplace that, uh, that my listeners really should be paying attention to? Well, I think the last thing I'd leave your listeners with is um, you know, because of the nascency of the industry and some of the protocols that are involved in the industry, you need to find trusted partners who have deep technical expertise and deep industry knowledge um, so that there is a significant amount of collaboration. Um, and I think that's critically important. Um, and it's when people are trying to deliver, you know, highly scaled applications with no industry knowledge and they're not seeking outside expertise um, where we make big mistakes. Yeah. And it causes significant delays. And the, in, the, the expertise is out there. Uh, I would offer Senate as one example, but we're not the only one. I think we're the best. Uh, but <laughs> but uh, we're not the only one. So, so I, I really strongly advocate for 
if you're new to this industry or you're, it's a new line of business, make sure you connect up with, with people who have the expertise, whether it's on a paid basis or a partnership basis, so that you can accelerate your learning curve and not make the same mistakes that have already been made in the industry. Sure. Um, I think that uh, there's never going to be a, a standard oil for IoT. You know, we're, it's, it's an industry that is uh, tailor-made for a partnership economy, there, and there shouldn't ever be uh, a company that, that tries to own the entire vertical stack of solution or the entire uh, horizontal uh, thing, because there's so much of it is custom job by job case by case so much of it is uh really requires true in-depth expertise on a specific thing that that finding ways for the the IoT marketplace to partner up and offer a complete solution to to a customer is i think a a much better long-term strategy for the industry and for any individual company as part of it, uh, it because it it just makes more sense to be really good at your one thing to me. <laughs> yeah, and, and, I, and I would say there are horizontal aspects to this, platform aspects. We happen to be one of them. And so, you know, obviously I'd make a strong case for us to be the partner because we see many, many devices and we have a lot of experience with all kinds of different verticals. So whether it's us or another network provider, it's a good place to look for expertise. Sure. Um, what, what I mean when I say uh, uh, no sort of individual horizontal owner is that it, when I think of horizontal in your space specifically, I'd say connectivity was the horizontal. So like I don't think that it makes sense for, for Senate to say, okay, yeah, we do, uh, we do Laura, but we're also the expert in uh, CADM1 and uh, yeah. Bluetooth yeah. and Z-Wave, and you know, it, it just—I don't think that's a, a tenable model for the IoT industry. I agree. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Um, all right. Uh, where can folks find out more about about you, Bruce, and about Senate? It's at www.senetco.com. Who had Senate.com? <laughs> I don't um, know. It's before my time, but it seems to work. Um, so that's uh, SenateCo.com, and of course that'll be in the show notes. Um, Bruce, thank you so much for being my guest. This has been a, a really enlightening and interesting conversation. I appreciate it. I agree. Thank you. Folks, uh, that's uh, that's our time for, uh, for now. This has been uh, Real World IoT powered by 151 Advisors. My guest has been Bruce Chatterley of Senate, and uh, thank you all for listening. We'll catch you next time. Well, folks, thank you for listening to this episode of Real World IoT, powered by 151 Advisors. Make sure you go online to check out more content on how you can monetize the connected world at 151advisors.com. That's 151advisors.com for all the information and content like this podcast that will help you power your business and monetize your business into the next phase of the IoT. Thank you again for listening to Real World IoT, powered by 151 Advisors. I am your host, Ken Briota, signing off. See you next time.